You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Uh, we are uh, learning about uh, the uh, laws of Kashrut in a more sort of uh, concrete and uh, tangible way, um, building on um, what we learned in our Essentials of Judaism class um, a few months ago when we did the laws of Kashrut. Um, so um, I'm going to uh, give a couple of disclaimers at the front. The first is um, that I'm not going to spend a lot of time um, talking about the like you know spiritual metaphysical whys of uh, keeping kosher um, of the Jewish dietary laws. Um, you know there are those that say that those think that that doesn't exist anyway. Uh, both those who aren't crazy about the Jewish dietary laws and those who are crazy about the Jewish dietary laws. Right. In other words, there are Jews who say like God commanded it. It's in the Torah. Like whether you like the reason or not, or whether you know the reason or not. Um, you do it. And there are even people who say um, that, uh, that it's better to not know the reason um, because observing commandments without a reason, um, without even having to seek out the reason or understand the rational explanation, is a uh, mark of uh, loyalty uh, to and love of God. Right? So there are people who, who are deliberately don't learn the reasons. And then on the other end, there are people who say, you know, like, you know, there are no reasons that means it's ridiculous, or, like, I can take guesses as to what the reasons are, but I still think it's ridiculous, right? So there's that end. And then there's most of us, I think, in the middle who say, you know, um, uh, people, and all the more so God, usually don't say things for no reason whatsoever. Um, And uh, in the context of uh, um, uh, spiritual guidelines uh, um, that uh, that are found in the Torah, uh, the laws of Kashrut, probably have uh, some sort of spiritual, uh, um, uh, physical, uh, uh, ethical rationale to them. Um, and, uh, and so one of our tasks is to uh, think about and consider what the different rationale might be um, on the spiritual, ethical, uh, physical, uh, different relational planes um, to determine you know, why we have these laws in the first place. And that's a re- really worthwhile endeavor. We did a little bit of that when we did our Essentials of Judaism class a, a couple of months ago, and I'm pretty sure that the, that, that session is recorded and online, so you can listen to that. Um, so we're not going to spend a lot of time doing that, although maybe this, if we get through a lot today, some of our second class we can devote to some of those uh, considerations. What I want to focus on is a little bit more um, of the practicalities, the, the nuts and bolts, right? So like what makes something kosher and what makes it not kosher? How, do we, um, how, how does one who would want to uh, uh, set up a kosher kitchen, how would you go about setting up a kosher kitchen? Um, how would one uh, work to make sure that an existing kitchen, even a kitchen in a synagogue, um, uh, remains kosher once it is kosher? Right um, and uh, and questions related to that. All right, so is that cool with everybody? Uh, the second disclaimer is not really a disclaimer, more of an invitation, which is um, that uh, um, uh, my my biggest rule is that anybody is uh, um, uh, uh, free to interrupt at any point with any question whatsoever. Okay, so nothing is off the table. Um, nothing, is, there's no, my high school teacher once said, uh, there's no stupid questions, just a lot of inquisitive idiots. Uh, but, uh, but no, but in this space, there's neither stupid questions nor inquisitive idiots. Um, 
Um, and, I really, and I really mean that seriously, um, because what we're talking about here um, can be highly technical and sometimes complicated. Um, so if you uh, want to interrupt to ask a question, just throw up your hand and ask a question. If, we can't, if I can't answer it right now because it'll take us too far afield, I'll try to write it on the board so we can get to it a little bit later. Okay? Okay. Um, so I want to start off with a recommendation. So the... Um, uh, I'm going to follow, basically, because I think it's actually the most useful format that I've found, um, kind of following along the chapter headings of um, this book uh, called uh, The Laws of Kashrus, um, not Kashrut, which is how you know uh, modern Hebrew speakers would and conservative Jews would pronounce it, but Kashrus um, is the, uh, um, uh, the way um, traditional Ashkenazi uh, Jews would have pronounced the word kashrut, which is the system of keeping kosher. Um, and so people in the Orthodox world today, in the Ashkenazi Orthodox world, uh, would pronounce it kashrus. Um, and so you can tell by the title that this is uh, written by an Orthodox author, uh, an Ashkenazi Orthodox author. Um, and um, it's uh, uh, published by um, a really, uh, you know, at least objectively um, phenomenal publishing house called Art Scroll. Um, that, uh, that, that publishes a lot of Jewish books, some of which are of merit and some of which I think are not of merit. Um, this is one that um, I think uh, is of merit. One of the reasons I think it's of merit, at least from my you know, like rabbi nerd point of view, um, is that unlike a lot of uh, books that are published in the Orthodox world uh, today on matters of Jewish law, this one is extensively footnoted. So, um, so at least you know, for... for uh, uh, those of you who are more knowledgeable about you know the, the traditional classical texts um, of uh, Judaism and Jewish law, um, you're able to sort of like follow up on the claims that the author makes and say you know okay do I agree with uh, where they're sourcing this from do I not is there another point of view because there's always commentary lining the pages of just about every Jewish book uh, traditional Jewish book so are there other commentaries that he's ignoring right so you can go back and check his work. Um, which is one of the reasons I like it, and it's unique in the Orthodox world. The other thing, the other one of the other major reasons um, why uh, I think it's uh, uh, um, a valuable book, even though I'm a conservative Jew, is that Kashrut is one of the areas that, uh, by and large, um, my practice uh, um, and, and the practice of people who consider themselves observant conservative Jews are, by and large, very similar to uh, 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 Orthodox Jews. Um, there are some uh, differences, um, at least in theory, um, and uh, there are some differences in terms of you know normal custom in uh, each of those communities. Um, but uh, but at least on paper, um, the way a conservative Jew practices kashrut is uh, um, uh, likely to look very similar to the way an Orthodox Jew practices kashrut. And I think it's especially true um, of uh, conservative Jews who keep kosher in the home, have kosher homes. Um, chances are you're not likely to find all that much different between um, a conservative Jewish household that has a kosher home and an Orthodox uh, household that has a kosher home. Just like you're like not, not likely to find much difference in the way we keep our kosher kitchen um, in the synagogue uh, than the way uh, Rabbi Asher keeps the kosher kitchen at, uh, at KBI. Now, I can't say that with 100% certainty because I haven't like, you know, gone point by point with Rabbi Asher on it, but that's just my strong hunch. Um, yeah? Um, yeah, they won't eat from our dairy kitchen. No, I understand that they may not eat from our kitchen. What I'm saying is what, they won't eat from our kitchen largely because of political reasons, not religious reasons. Well, the cheese thing. 
Um, so cheeses, when we get there, um, uh, one area in which there is some discrepancy depending on where you are in the Orthodox world and also where you are in the conservative world. Um, but, it, but it turns out um, in some ways to be a very small one. Um, but in any event, when we get to cheese, we'll, we'll talk about cheese. Um, but let's say cheese, not, but the, the truth of the matter is, um, that, uh, that, that Rabbi Asher, I am convinced, has, and I don't mean to single him out because he's a very good friend of mine and, and, uh, and I love Rabbi Asher, but, I'm, but, I'm, but this is sort of like the, the internal politics of the Jewish community, then I'm convinced that there are Orthodox Jews with whom Rabbi Asher has differences of opinion um, about you know, this or that element of, uh, of uh, the laws of Kashrut, including perhaps um, what cheese can or can't be used. Uh, and nevertheless, um, uh, Rabbi Asher would have no problem um, uh, telling people in his community that they can eat in, in those people's kitchens, but not in ours, even though the issues might be the exact same because of, uh, like I said, largely political reasons, not religious ones. Um, and by political, I also mean like sort of ideological, which really have nothing to do with the practice of the law, which is bar- partially why I say what I want to focus today is on the practice of the law, not so much on the ideology, not so much on the philosophy. Okay. All right. So, um, so anyway, I, I think it's, uh, you know, more or less accessible to people who don't have uh, a rabbinic background. So um, if you happen to find yourself, you know, interested in picking something like this up, you could do that. There are other books written uh, in the non-Orthodox world, but not as comprehensive and not as uh, one of the things that um, uh, Orthodox writers uh, tend to do very well is sort of like lay out, you know, like the step-by-step. Um, of like how you accomplish what it's uh, telling you to accomplish, um, and uh, conservative Jews haven't yet mastered that art, um, and uh, and uh, this one also has like you know like troubleshooting uh, uh, guides. So uh, so I like that as well. Um, so yeah, I'll pass it around. You can you can take a look at it. Uh, Binyamin Forst is the author. I've learned if I want the cheap copies, I better get them during class. All right. So the first thing we're going to talk about, um, and uh, in your packet here, actually, why don't I, before I actually get into the subject matter, why don't I just uh, just uh, give you a lay of the land of what you have in your packet, um, and we'll roughly try to. Uh, it's all sort of arranged more or less um, chronologically about how how we're going to cover it. So the first packet um, deals with. Uh, uh, forbidden foods. Okay, so that's the first thing we're going to talk about. Um, then you have an individual page um, with some lovely hand drawings on it. That, that, that's my artistic talent there. You're welcome. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> and this has to deal with um, the prohibitions um, around eating meat and milk together. So we'll get to that um, eventually. Then you have another packet, a smaller packet, that deals with uh, some of the how-tos of koshering a kitchen, um, which includes how to turn a non-kosher kitchen into a kosher kitchen, and what to do uh, in the event, some, I mean, it's transferable, what to do in the event that something in your kosher kitchen becomes not kosher. Okay? Um, and, so, and some of the how something becomes not kosher in your kosher kitchen we'll cover in some of the other areas. Uh, but what to do in the event that that happens, yeah. we'll get to a little bit later, okay? And then a much bigger packet uh, that has um, a listing of uh, virtually every recognized 
uh, kosher certification in the, um, in the world. Okay? Um, so here's the deal. Um, chances are that in your travels, you're going to see um, the symbols on the, um, on the first and second page of this packet more often than not. And one of these symbols basically says that a, um, that a rabbi or a rabbinic organization um, has uh, inspected this product um, and has determined that it was kosher. So behind every symbol is either a particular rabbi or um, an organization. Right? And you'll see in the course of our learning together that um, not every rabbi agrees on every single issue of kashrut. Um, and, uh, and so therefore, not every kosher certification um, is necessarily uh, equal to each other, right? So, um, uh, so for me, personally, for the most part, I'll accept virtually every kosher certification that's out there. Um, but there are some ones that uh, are more regularly questioned than others because of their uh, specific approach. Um, and there are still others that that um, their particular approach, their particular philosophy, um, are in some ways kind of obscured by the fact that they just can put a symbol on a, on a product, right? So, you know, I don't know uh, the answers to, like, every question about, you know, what, how my understanding of keeping kosher aligns with the Orthodox Union, which is behind this uh, symbol on the front page, probably the most, by far the most common symbol, an O with a U in it. Um, I actually don't know off the top of my head what every single standard they have is um, in keeping kosher. Um, and so when I buy a product with an OU, I'm basically taking it on trust um, that, uh, that, 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 that they follow protocols and they understand the laws uh, more or less in keeping with the way I understand the laws. Um, and, uh, and part of uh, how I determine that is... Uh, it's not really a good reason. I mean, maybe it's a good reason. Um, I think it's a good reason. That's why I do it. Um, is um, is normativity, right? Um, you know, so the the broadly speaking, the observant Jewish world um, is comfortable eating products that have that symbol, right? Um, and uh, and so long as the majority of the observant Jewish world is comfortable eating products that have the symbol, I have no real reason to question their uh, their methodology. Once, you know, half the um, uh, observant world starts questioning their methodology, um, which there might be reason to, right? And I might be one of those people who might start questioning it if there's something, like, egregious that I see. Um, then, uh, um, then, you know, then it becomes a little bit more, um, uh, more, more dicey. Um, but in any event, we'll get to the kosher certification thing um, a little bit down the line. But I just wanted you to have this um, in part. We're not going to go through every certifier here. Um, we're not going to really go through any one in particular to say like what it is that they uh, um, do or don't believe. But I wanted you to have this one because we're going to be talking about um, you know what makes something kosher and what makes it not kosher on a very simple level. What makes something kosher is that you know uh, um, somebody knowledgeable of the laws of kashrut says it's kosher. Um, so uh, um, and that that's what a kosher symbol called a heksher um, is. Um, is somebody says it's kosher. Um, so I want you to have it for that and also for your own records at home. One of the nice things about um, this um, uh, uh, packet that, that you have is that you have the contact information of virtually every kosher certification agency. So if you ever had a question about their certification about something 
or why they've labeled something as kosher. You know, they label, hey, you know, um, OU, like I just bought, you know, a cheese dip that's got an OU, but it's bacon flavored. Like, what's the deal with that, right? So I could call the OU and I could ask them that question, right? Um, and that's actually true. I did just buy a cheese dip from, that was OU certified that was bacon flavored. Um, it wasn't very good, but... It, 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 um, they don't certify taste. They don't certify taste, that's right. Um, and if, if we're shopping, we could go to kashrut.com uh, if we don't remember, and if we have a question on a symbol? Correct. You can go to kashrut.com uh, and if you have a question on a symbol. There's also a really, I'll give this to you now, um, just because I like it. There's also a great website called kashrut.org. I was going to ask you about that one. Yeah. So I love kashrut.org. Kashrut.org uh, aligns with my... Um, my, my countercultural and rebellious set, uh, sensibilities. Um, so there's a, um, among other things, the kosher world operates like a business, um, or maybe several businesses. Um, and uh, insofar as it's a business to, you know, because getting, uh, get, getting your product uh, certified kosher is not a free endeavor, uh, usually. Um, not necessarily that it should be free. I mean, maybe it should in a perfect world be free. But uh, to get your product certified, you need, you know, rabbinic supervision. You need somebody to, like, go to the factory where it's made and make sure that the things are functioning properly, depending on the complexity of what you're making or what exactly it is you're making. You might need uh, very intensive rabbinic supervision, and, you know, that that isn't free. Um, you know, the... Uh, uh, rabbis had to put up food on the table too. So, um, uh, but because insofar as it's a business, it also you know ends up having some of the more nefarious elements of business, like you know market expansion. You know, so uh, um, you know, so there there are lots of things out there that bear kosher certification that really don't need certification, and lots of things out there that are kosher uh, that aren't certified. Right. Um, so kashrut.org is basically a website where people can um, post questions about things that don't have kosher certification or might have, you know, questionable kosher certification, but ask um, a team of um, really like, I think, funny and um, uh, irreverent uh, <laughs> Orthodox rabbis. Um, what? It's like the onion version of kosher. Um, uh, you know, irreverent Orthodox rabbis, you know, whether or not the thing is kosher. So, like, one of my favorite ones is um, about Slurpees at 7-Eleven, right? Okay, so we'll talk about, you know, um, uh, forbidden foods and mixtures and all that. Um, but let's, let's suffice to say for a moment that, um, that, that a Slurpee has nothing in it that is um, inherently a non-kosher ingredient, right? Sugar, color, and water. Right, um, so um, uh, is, that, is that the bacon flavored Slurpees? <laughs> so, so anyway, so someone asks on kashrut.org, like, are Slurpees? Co-? He this is like this long panicky question. Like, are Slurpees? You know, like, pay, you know, sentences and sentences. Like, oh, you know, they brought the Slurpee into my house, and I said, right, and uh, and the, the answer is like this two lines. Uh, you know, question: Are there little pigs floating around in it? Answer: No. Answer, it's kosher, <laughs> you know, so, um, anyway, so, uh, so that's why I like kashrut.org, um, yeah. Well, this is, I, I'm not trying to be stupid, but I'm going to ask you this question. I've always been told you have to watch out for the red coloring, so, well, you have to watch out for that for others. Right, so, <laughs> so, theoretically, then if it was a red Slurpee, would it still be kosher? Yeah, I mean, red, red coloring, uh, so the, it's, no, it's a, it's a good question. Um, let's, let's not get hung up on, let's not get hung up on that right now. I mean, that's a valid question. 
It is a valid question. Yeah. 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 That is a valid question. I'd say let's not get hung up on it right now. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. The last thing you have, and then we got to move on. The last thing you have is a glossary of terms. Okay. So that will be helpful, hopefully, during the time that we're uh, talking, and then as you review and just have for your own reference a glossary. Now, what you have to know with this glossary of terms is it's taken from uh, that uh, Orthodox book that I was passing around. Um, so some of the like, you know, um, English spellings of the Hebrew are based on the Ashkenazi pronunciation, right? So, like, instead of kashrut, it's kashrus, right? Um, uh, so you have to kind of uh, keep that in mind as you're reading it, but, but hopefully it's uh, at least a little bit helpful. Okay, other questions? Okay, this corner is going to be a problem. I can tell. Um, um, so I need to think about that for people who want to be... For people who want to be mashkichim um, for our kitchen, I need to think about the answer to that question. Um, maybe. Maybe. You didn't have to take a test last time. Okay, fine. So then I'll give you a test. Um, um, I mean, the truth, is, the truth is that it's actually... Um, that, that, that's a lot of the issues... A lot of the issues we're going to talk about here um, are in some ways moot points by the time you t- in, by the time you get into an actual kitchen like ours because ours uh, with one exception that I'm actually not so sure we should continue doing but um, uh, which is the cheese thing um, uh, um, uh, although we live in Richmond it's hard to find Hector cheese so I think that that's a, but anyway um, uh, by the time you get into an actual kitchen um, most of the issues are moot because ours is very well set up and divided between meat and dairy you'll see as we go along, that that's something that's important. Um, and so basically, one rule of Mashkech is, you know, just make sure there's no cross-contamination between those two kitchens, and that's pretty easy. You don't need a test to tell me that. You just need eyeballs um, and a mouth, I guess. Um, and, uh, um, uh, and and the ability to stand up to Josephine. Uh, <laughs> that's hard. <laughs> it's the caterers, yeah. And then, and then also making sure that, um, uh, that all the food that's brought in has kosher certification on it, right? So, um, uh, so it doesn't necessarily involve being the certifier of the food. It just means making sure that the food itself is certified. And if there are any questions, you call me, and, you know, so, uh, so you have a backstop. So maybe we don't need a test. Um, could do what my high school principal did and just make everybody show what you know in the kitchen. Show what we, you know. We, we had to cook for public public speaking. <laughs> you had to cook for public speaking. We had to cook for public. It was it was how to um, how to um, teach a skill, <clears throat> and we had to cook. And it actually was lunch for the entire senior class. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Let's uh, let's move on. Okay. So um, we're all we're all good now. All right. All right. We're gonna start with um, we're gonna start with what's called in Hebrew ma'achalot asurot, which means uh, forbidden foods. Okay. Now you might say to yourself, "Well, this is about keeping kosher, so like, isn't that everything?" Um, and in some ways, yes, right? Uh, not not that every food is forbidden, but like everything about kashrut is about what's forbidden and what's not. So what I want to start off with, the premise I want to start off with is that, as a general rule, what are the things, you know, what are the, like, the big-time no-nos? Um, because most of the nitty-gritty, most of the challenges of Kashrut aren't really dealing with the, like, big-time no-nos. It's about, like, um, some of the more subtle 
issues, you know, um, mixtures and accidental mixtures and, uh, you know, the contact of things and uh, um, derivatives of the, like the, 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 um, the uh, what's it called, the um, food coloring, right, is an issue of derivatives. And so, so that's where things uh, um, get a little bit more thorny. So we'll start out with the general categories of, of what's forbidden, okay? So the, the, the biggest... Uh, list of for foods that are forbidden um, comes uh, basically in identical ways in Leviticus chapter 11 and Deuteronomy chapter 14. Um, so why don't we uh, start with Leviticus chapter 11? Can I have a volunteer to, um, uh, to read that for us? Thanks, Debbie. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the Israelite people thus. These are the creatures that you eat from among all the, all the land animals. Any animal that has true hooves... Is there such a thing as false Apparently. Okay. <laughs> With clefts through the hooves and, and that chew the cud, such you, may, such you may eat. The following, however, of those that either chew the cud or, or have true hooves, you shall not eat. The camel, although it chews the cud, it has no true hooves. Mm-hmm. It is unclean for you. The daman... I have no idea what that is. Uh, Although it, it chews the cut, some, it has no truth. Some kind of ancient animal. Yeah. yeah. It is unclean for you. The hair, although it chews Demon. the cut, it has no truth. Damon? Yeah, it was eaten up. Damon? It was eaten up? Yeah, by the pagans. Oh, okay. Yeah. It is unclean for you. And the swine, although it has true hooves, with the hooves cleft through it, it does not chew the cut. It is unclean for you. You shall not eat of their flesh or touch their carcasses. They are unclean for you. Okay, let's pause there for a second. Okay, so th- so that's the first category of things. Talking about land animals. Okay, so what makes a land animal kosher? What makes it not kosher? By the way, I might as well, uh, we did this in, in the first essentials class, but when I use the word kosher, the literal definition of that is um, fit for Jewish consumption. Kosher literally, kosher literally means fit. Um, um, but when we say kosher, it means that, that um, an, an observant Jew can eat it. Right? Um, so actually, Leviticus doesn't use the word kosher. It uses the word tameh or tahor, um, which means pure and impure. Um, the, uh, um, not to pun here, but I think that for our purposes, the differences between kosher and not kosher and pure and impure splitting hairs. Hair. Okay. So what makes, yeah, hair like a, uh, there's a certain kind of, it's a, I don't remember what the Hebrew word is uh, off the top of my head, but it's a certain kind of rabbit that apparently chews its cud. Um, so what's, so what, so what makes an animal, what makes a land animal kosher? Right, so what is what is a true what is a true hoof? As opposed to a falsy. It's like a horse. Well, what is a horse? A horse has a hoof, but it doesn't have a cleft in it, right? Correct. So you can eat a horse, but it doesn't choose cleft. Well, it's hold on, but we have two different two different criteria. Right. So one is true hooves with a cleft, right? So um, we all kind of know what that looks like. It sort of looks like this. Right? That's, that's the animal's hoof that we're talking about. So if you've seen a cow hoof, you know, it kind of looks like, like that, right? Something like that. That's close enough, right? Um, there he's like, my daughter lives on a farm. That's not what a cow hoof looks like. Okay. Um, um, oh, not anymore. Um, 
Okay, so, uh, clo- so it has to have a cloven hoof, uh-huh. and it has to chew its cud. What does that mean? Good, right? So um, uh, usually when an animal chews its cud, it has multiple stomachs, uh, and uh, it eats once, it regurgitates, and eats it again. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's considered a ruminant? Is that yes. A ruminant? Yeah, that's yeah. what it's called. Yes. Yeah. Like yeah. But what does that mean? What does that mean, <laughs> a ruminant? It's a ruminant? Yes, they have a completely different kind of... Because it ruminates over its food? Yeah, is that what it... Well, yeah. ruminate, it, it brings it back up and shoots again. When we ruminate, we bring it back up and shoots again. Love that. Okay, good. There's a, ser- there's a sermon there somewhere. What? <laughs> Why do it twice? Um, people in your restaurant don't do that? People in your restaurant don't do that? They ruminate. They don't eat it once, spit it on the plate, and... Yeah. Um, they do whatever they want. <laughs> they can do whatever right? as long as they pay their bill. Um, all right, so so in, uh, in order for a land animal to be kosher, it has to have split hooves, has to chew its cud, right? So then it gives a list of things that um, that that might have one or the other. But if it has one or the other, is it kosher or not kosher? Not kosher, right? So the the one that's most po- the most obvious, most common is 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 pig. Right? A pig has split hooves but doesn't chew its cud. Right. Right? So there, it's not a ruminant. What so a deer? A deer has split hooves and chews its cud. So a deer is a kosher animal. But you can't do it waddle though because it's not... It's not right, the slaughter. Oh, we haven't got to, to slaughter yet. Okay, let's just hold off. Let's hold off on the slaughtering. Bison, bison. Bison are kosher. Right? So cow, cow, sheep, goat, deer, bison, elk, I would suppose. Uh, what, lamb, isn't lamb sheep? Debbie. Isn't that the same thing? <laughs> Do we have a comprehensive list of the animal of the common? Um, I. Yeah, there you go. Here you go. Right um, in Deuteronomy. Good. Good eye, Bonnie. Um, I'm always listening. Ox, sheep, goat, deer, gazelle, roebuck, wild goat, ibex, antelope, mountain sheep. It actually doesn't mention the cow here, but uh, but that's counted. In, in, in the ox category. All right. Um, all right. So that, but I mean, I would say that the most common ones that people you know encounter are that are that are yeses are um, cow, sheep, lamb, maybe goat, I guess, deer, um, maybe bison, I guess is increasingly common. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else that's relatively common. All right. So, without getting into any of the issues that, that Bonnie's jumping into, because I love your enthusiasm, um, <laughs> right? Um, these are the ones that are at least in theory. Start with this big and get smaller. Right, exactly. Okay. Which is actually really, I mean, going to the theory of it, right? You know, um, one of the, one of the, uh, um, objectives, one of the um, outcomes of Kashrut is that, you know, it takes, um, um, you know, what, what is theoretically, you know, unlimited possibilities for the top of the food chain um, and reduces them down to a very small handful of things in some ways, right? Um, and so there's a, um, a, a, a major thread of the, uh, of the commentaries and interpretations about the system of Kashrut to say um, that, um, um, that it is um, first, um, you know, sort of a step toward 
vegetarianism, right? Because uh, the things you'll see in this list are all animals that you can't eat, um, but a person's entitled to eat any fruit or vegetable that he or she wants. Uh, or nut or whatever, right? So, um, uh, so it severely limits the lives that a person can take, um, and uh, um, and and creates a lot of uh, necessitates a lot of intentionality behind what you eat, right? You have to like really be thoughtful about you know the kinds of foods that you're going to put in your mouth. All right, um, let's keep going. Maybe a new reader. Not that you didn't do well, Debbie, but let's, let's more voices around the table. I want to hear Debbie some more. <laughs> All right, Debbie, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) These you may may eat of all that live in water, anything in water, whether in the seas or the streams, that has fins and scales, these you may eat. But anything in the seas or in the streams that has no fins or scales, among all the swarming things of the water and among all the other other living creatures that are in the water, they are an abomination for you. And an abomination for you shall remain. You shall not eat of their flesh, and you shall abominate their carcasses. Everything in the water that has no fins and scales shall be an abomination for you. Okay. So what is, what do we, what new information do we have? Shellfish. <laughs> Good. Right. So if if I eating something from that that comes from the water needs to have what? Scales and fins. Scales and fins. Fins and scales. Scales and fins, fins and scales, right? Uh, no, I mean the the what? Is there a special shape to the scale? I'm not sure if I understand the question. Oh. But like, if you think of a shark. They do not have. Well, they do at some point have scales. They fall off when they get older. Sharks? I don't think that you're right about sharks. Yeah, sharks. Because some sharks, it's it's a problem because some sharks have scales when they're young and they. I think you're thinking of swordfish. Oh, you're right. So. Hold on. Okay. All right. All right. There's a lot of there's a lot of questions. Okay. So, um, as far as I know, um, anything that is considered a scale, regardless of shape, is considered a scale for these purposes. That's not true in your knowledge. I'll find, I'll find it. Are you looking for a particular fish? What 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 do you what what kind of scale do you think doesn't count as a scale? Round scale is, is fine. There's a, a triangle scale that is not. Round scale is fine. I think, I think it's a round scale is fine. <laughs> let, me know, let me know if I'm wrong. Um, I have to Google now, sorry. All right, okay. All right, so. Um, <clears throat> we all good? What? Nothing. We're, we're discussing the different fishes. Ah, okay. All right. Um, all right. So first, first, let's make sure that we have the theory. Right? Fins and scales is what makes a, a, an animal that comes from uh, that lives in the water kosher. Okay, um, at least theoretically, um, which excludes you know, the major ones. You know, that people usually think of that it excludes um, are shellfish of any sort. Right. So like crabs, lobsters, shrimp, uh, etc. Uh, crawfish, crawdaddies, whatever they call them here, um, and uh, um, 
um, also bivalves, right? So uh, uh, oysters, clams, um, mussels, um, and uh, and then and then and then and then of course you know other other fish or fish-like creatures that don't have scales, so um, or that might have fins but don't have scales, right? So. Uh, right, um, right, right. And I was thinking of things like shark. eel, shark. Um, uh, well, dolphin. Yeah, dolphin. I guess would count even. The, yeah, I mean, I guess the Torah would consider that because it probably didn't know that it was a mammal. But yeah, um, but it has fins, it no scales. Hooves, and it cud. Right, and it, no no hooves, no cud, and uh, no fins. I mean, no scales. Right. Um, uh, so catfish is another one that has fins but no scales. So catfish would not be kosher. Um, well, so here's the thing about the scavenger thing. Okay, look back in the Torah. It doesn't say anything about scavengers. That's what that the, the scavenger. Uh, uh, are, do you find what you're looking for? Um, all right. So if you find it, let me know. Um, I don't want to give people misinformation. I'm not so I'm not so expert in fish because I never eat fish, so I don't really care. Uh, I am, um, um, but uh, um, I like I like tuna and sushi. I like that. Um, yeah, that's the um, so I like eat raw tuna. It's like the only fish I eat, um, and it's strange. Um, What's the what what's the scientific fact that would change like, the law? Like, like they, they didn't know, know like you said, like a dolphin was a mammal, or if they knew what certain animals were, like would they really change anything in the law today? I'm not saying that they're gonna change it. No, probably not. I mean the, the whole the issue of whether or not a dolphin's a mammal actually, I mean I think I misspoke there because I don't think it would matter whether or not the dolphin or a whale is a mammal. It lives in the water, it doesn't have uh, uh, scales, but it has fins, so therefore it's not kosher. Um, you know, uh, the the question of like you know scientific knowledge, um, I think would apply in a case like um, swordfish, for example, right? So swordfish is one that's sort of a matter of debate, because uh, like Debbie was saying, um, it, as far as I understand, has scales when it's young, but loses its scales as it gets older. And so the so there are two questions there. Like one, um, uh, you know, um, scientifically, is it more like the kinds of fish that have scales their whole life, or more like the the fish that don't have scales their whole life, right? So that's a question to ask about. Sort of that's where scientific knowledge would be helpful. The other place scientific knowledge would be theoretically helpful is if we knew the reason. You know, um, so classical Reform Judaism, for example. Presumed that the reason that uh, pig was um, banned by the Bible was because of ancient fears of trichinosis, like they didn't know how to cook pork properly, and so people were getting sick, and so that's why they banned it. But the uh, and so you know so the the scientific argument is well we know more about how to we know about trichinosis and we know how to prepare pork, so therefore we should be able to eat it. Like it's not relevant anymore. The problem with that is that it's based on a sort of um, possibly erroneous. Um, assumption about the reasoning of the Bible, or the Bible doesn't give health fears as its reason, 
And there are plenty of examples of ancient communities that like weren't getting sick and dying from uh, poor consumption. Um, and there's no real evidence that that was happening to um, ancient Israelites before the Bible was written. So, you know, so the, the theory isn't very well grounded. Um, so that's where I think the scientific knowledge would be helpful. Um, uh, you know, scientific knowledge might be helpful in determining you know, the sorts of things that Michael was talking about, you know, like different kinds of scales and whether they count, uh, but that has to combine scientific knowledge with, um, with textual interpretation, right? So, you know, is that what the Torah meant or is it not what the Torah meant? That's uh, another question. Uh, Robin, yeah. With scientific knowledge being what is, because sometimes if you change something so much it is no longer even what it started out as being, and aren't there some changes... When is part of an animal no longer what it started mm, as? Good. We change it so much that it no longer is that. Is it okay to use it? Right. Okay. So we're not going to talk about that right now. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put it up here. Okay. Okay. I'm going to write it by its Hebrew term, which is called a Devar Hadash. Does processed food go into that? It might, anyway, depending on the process. There is a question about swordfish. Um, in this list I gave you... What? In this list I gave you, which is the list that I got from Rabbi Creditor, um, uh, we, uh, it looks like um, except swordfish in our kitchen. Um, and... Um, I, my my sense is that by and large in the conservative movement it's accepted as kosher. Um, I'm not positive about by and large in the orthodox world if it's accepted as kosher. Okay. I, I did see an issue when I was googling that it's not according to the one site that seemed fairly authoritative. I think it was kashrut.org that um, that said swordfish no because the scales can't be easily removed. Mm, okay. So that was their criteria, but I mean. Yeah. It has nothing to do with conservative, but they seem to be um, the authority for... Right. Uh, Devar Chadash means a new thing. A new thing. Um, and we'll, we'll hopefully get to that um, at some point. All right. Um, any other questions about, uh, about fish or about uh, water animals? Uh, I think amphibians are actually in a different category in here. Um, yeah. Um, well, so, all right. So, um, what? No, let's get another, let's get another reader. Debbie, 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 uh, performed valiantly. So let's start with verse, uh, but let me just, are any other questions about fish? What's in and what's out? I, I, it's not, I don't think we need to give an exhaustive list right now of what's in and what's out. I think that you, you know the general category. I give you a list of, uh, of things um, with, uh, with sometimes with explanations of, you know, some people say yes, some people say no. Um, and if you have a specific question about a kind of fish, I'm happy to talk to you about it. Um, uh, but, uh, um, but, but in general, you know, I would say that the, that the fish, um, you know, that, that like non, not shellfish, not uh, um, 
bivalves, you know, whatever the fish that people commonly eat, I would say, by and large, has fins and scales, and in America at least. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously there are areas where people eat a lot of catfish, and there are people who eat a lot of uh, eel in other places and whatever. But, um, you know, like, I don't know what the top fishes are in America. My guess is probably tuna and salmon, um, and then maybe like tilapia or something like that, sea bass. Um, although you have to be very careful, and I, I mean, this, is a, this is one of the uh, challenges of, uh, of, of our time and, and sort of like the chain of, uh, of, of food production, um, is that uh, um, people have uh, reported that, uh, that, that quite often fish that's labeled as one thing is actually, you know, something else. And, and, and quite often it's, um, uh, it can be labeled as something not kosher entirely. So um, it's why there are a lot of people, even though theoretically, for reasons we'll talk about, I hope, um, uh, one could go to, you know, the grocery store um, and buy a piece of fish that doesn't have kosher certification. There's a lot of people that won't because they're not, um, uh, you know, relatively certain that the fish that they're getting um, is actually the right fish. Um, now, there's certainly, like, some fish that, you know, like, are, are very identifiable, right? Like, so, like, you know, tuna is one, or, salmon. like, salmon's another. Um, uh, but I think, like, like, lots of, like, the white fishes um, are, you know, sort of, like, people aren't so knowledgeable about uh, what exact white fish they're looking at. Um, when they look at it, so um, it's it's an area of caution. Okay, um, who's reading next? Me. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Um, the following you shall abominate among the birds. They shall not be eaten. Oh, let me just add one thing here. Okay, sorry to interrupt you, Melanie. Um, but, um, I just because we, we're getting this word abominate, yeah, uh, abomination. So that means that means something that is like totally off limits, totally like icky. Um, and I just want to say. That, like, there are plenty of people who, like, you know, are, like, really big on that word in some contexts, but then, like, go and eat shrimp, okay? So I just, I'm just saying that, um, um, all right. If you don't know what I'm talking about, then don't worry about it. Yeah, okay. It's an Yes. Okay. Are we just talking about eating of their flesh or anything from them? Eggs. Good. Good question. Um, so it, it um, I think, would include both things: eating eating their meat and anything from them, right? Anything that's related. No ostrich eggs, exactly. Uh, so here's here's actually a different. So we actually the first two. The first two areas of uh, land animals and, and water animals um, list out the sort of like general principle, right? Um, anything that need, it needs these things. The bird section um, basically just lists out what's forbidden, um, which are a lot of things that most of us don't commonly eat anyway, I would assume, um, and which, 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 uh, which implies what? So it lists out everything that's forbidden. Everything else is okay. Right, everything else is okay. Um, quail, yes. I have a question about like 
So you're not supposed to touch like pigs and stuff and, and use like, so I guess that's why there aren't many Jewish quarterbacks. Right. But, um, but <laughs> okay. Tom Brady's been known to dabble, but. <laughs> I have high hopes for Tim Tebow. I think he's going to come. I think he's going to come around. But can you, but can you use an ostrich feather in a hat you wore to get to shoulder? Right. Is there anything in fit you use it for? Can you use an ostrich feather in the hat you wear to shul? Is are you asking? Like, no, I understand. Do you know somebody who wants to wear an ostrich feather? No, Would you like to wear an ostrich feather? Yeah. So, um, so the the um, uh, the, uh, the 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 yeah the 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 prohibition on touching carcasses applies only to the land animals. At least, uh, or at least, let me rephrase that. It does not apply to the bird section. Okay. Um, not of the birds. All right. All right. Uh, so there's really no logic of why or why uh, not. Says what? you should not eat their flesh and you shall abominate their carcasses. Okay, good. So okay, so we have. I, that's why. That's why I rephrased what I said to to not only. That's why I rephrased what I said to not only apply to the uh, to the land animals because I, I I think I was wrong about that, but it doesn't apply to the to the birds. Eels can walnuts are out. Ostrich feathers are in. Okay, sure. <laughs> so basically, there's no rhyme or reason. Like, like you said before, with the, with the land animals and stuff, there's a kind of a rhyme or reason we kind of know the categories here. It's just a matter of memorizing the list. Correct. Correct. Now, right. uh, along the lines of what Michael said a little while ago about the fish, there are attempts to systematize the birds, right? So are you cold now? Uh, it, was hot uh, it was hot, I thought. Yeah, yeah. I'll just I'll turn. It's the AC. Um, so, uh, um, so th- there have been attempts. There have been attempts among. We're never going to agree. Um, there are attempts among commentators to systematize. You know, like why these birds. And so, if you were going to make a system, like explain, like, oh my God, did everybody just like get really cold all of a sudden? I was like, boy, okay. I didn't say anything. Like running around that crowd. I know. That crowd. Um, that crowd down here. Um, all right. I turned it like up to the so level that it was before. On so it'll turn off. But uh, okay, that's that's about as much as I'm going to compromise. Um, so, um, okay. So there. So if you were going to systematize, if you were going to say, okay, here's the general rule of why these birds. Right, so that's usually what people that's usually what people say. Although not everything really fits in with that. Like, I don't, for example, like I don't know if an ostrich is a bird of prey. Um, okay, um, I don't. Uh, most bats, most bats are not birds of prey. Or most bats aren't birds, but uh, most bats don't. Most bats. They can. That's true, but. Uh, but goats will eat things that are. Right. 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 Now, but. Um, but so, what's that? Oh, um, now, but the, the truth is that um, you could make a system for it all you want, uh, but we don't know if we're, the system is right or wrong, and ultimately what we have is just a list. Similar to the fish, 
So you said we can't eat scavengers, um, but that's actually not entirely true. I mean, like you could say, okay, like yeah, you know. So like, um, what uh, what's the sy- syllogism here? Like, um, like what is syllogism? Uh, um, <laughs> syllogism is like a logical argument. So a syllogism works like this: like um, uh, all men are mortal. Plato is a man, therefore Plato is mortal. mortal. That's a syllogism, right? So you could say, um, you know. Right. Um, all, um, all, all, uh, um, all sea animals without fins and scales um, are scavengers. Maybe that's true, but that doesn't necessarily mean that no animal with fins and scales is not a scavenger, right? And it turns out that uh, that that some of the like quintessential kosher fishes are scavengers, like carp, which is like the staple ingredient of gefilte fish, is a scavenger. So the so the um, the, the 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 what I would call like halachic mythology. Halachic mean halacha is uh, the Hebrew term for Jewish law, um, and halachic is like the adjective version of it, right? Um, so halachic mythology, like in other words, like it's something that com- people commonly um, say about. Um, something having to do with Jewish law that isn't necessarily borne out by the facts. Um, so I don't know if that's a good way of, of uh, I don't think it's a good way of systematizing the, the, I think by and large it works to say, you know, uh, Jews don't eat scavenger fish. But as long as you have like an asterisk next to that to say um, that, like, the, but sometimes if the, if the, if the bris is right, then, um, right? Uh, and, si- you know, similarly with the, the birds of prey thing, I, I you know, I, listen, I, I've never like really investigated into a chicken's diet, but um, okay. Um, all right, who wants to, get, Melody, will you continue? Yes, I'll read one more about the swarming thing. Okay. All winged swarming things that walk on fours shall be an abomination for you. But these you may eat among all the wings. When it says walk on fours, by the way, it doesn't mean literally like four legs. It means like it like walks on all of its legs. Mm-hmm. Okay. Four legs. Mm-hmm. But they have to have wings, too. And they have to... Okay, but these you may eat among all the winged swarming things that walk on fours. All that have above their feet jointed legs to leap with on the ground. Of these you may eat the following. Locusts of every variety... All varieties of bald locusts, crickets of every variety, and all varieties of grasshopper. But all other winged swarming things that have four legs shall be an abomination for you. Okay, first of all, why would I want to eat a cricket? And there's a lot of areas in the world where that's a staple of the diet. Yeah. I have a really serious question. Now, all these animals that are kosher are only kosher because you, you know, we haven't gotten there yet, but yeah. Okay, but but is there is there a proper way to kill a fish? Yeah, that was, I was going to ask that before, but we haven't I would assume it's a quick, a quick slice down. down. There, there, there is, the answer is there isn't, um, and we haven't gotten there. But um, so, so we can save it. Yeah, we have. How close we feel to them in our the bug zappers. Has Exoskeleton. And I always felt like an ectoskeleton was, was a exoskeleton. Exoskeleton is what the Ghostbusters fighting. Ectoplasm. 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 Yeah. 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 Anyway, 
And, and my favorite drink growing up was high C ecto cooler. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, Michael, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Ecto cooler. High C ecto cooler. I actually don't know if it had actually. Sorry, Michael. Go ahead. No, no. So it's ex- what, what about the exoskeleton? Well, I was under the impression, of course, Um, well, I think that that is in general a good rule because, you know, like what, what your mom probably meant by that were like lobsters and crabs and things like that. Um, she probably didn't have in mind, you know, like crickets and other bugs because they weren't commonly eaten. Um, so I, I think that like as a general rule, catching the sort of things that you would likely to eat, it works. But um, as a, as like a, an actual true statement about what's kosher and not kosher, um, probably not, yeah. Right. So, but basically, I mean, look what this what this refers to is essentially all kinds of bugs, right? Um, and uh, and and insects and things like that, um, uh, except for a, a very small uh, couple. <laughs>